Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go and give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to and loving the Tome Show for years, weeks, months, whatever it is, go and give us a rating because that one rating will help us out a ton. It will take less than one minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review comes from a very special listener whose username on iTunes is Kixeros. Kixeros says, A D&D podcast for all comers. I can't say enough positive things about this group of dedicated gamers. I was turned on to this podcast about two years ago when the Roundtable was first brought on board. I'll be honest, I almost exclusively listen to the Roundtable episodes and enjoy its lovely band of rotating misfits led by their very own Robin Hood, James and Tricasso. That's me! I'd been out of role-playing games for many years, having last played in the mid-90s, AD&D 2nd Edition with all of its thackoey goodness. But this podcast and its unabashed enthusiasm for most things 5th edition have made me want to find my way back to the gaming table. These are guys who love and enjoy the hobby and consistently craft a show that is filled with something for everyone. From simple clear explanations for newcomers and those of us returning from the fog of the real world to all kinds of specific minutia that hardcore fans will love and appreciate. The clearest way to put it? This podcast, led by James and Jocasso, has made me want to roll dice again. Well, thanks, Kixeros. This podcast wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for you. For real. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is the D&D Rage of Demons Demogorgon Collector Series Mini from Gale Force 9. You can buy the Beast of Beasts himself. For $10 off at Noble Knight. Let's hear a quick word from them. Hello, I'm RPG podcasting celebrity James Intricasso. As you know, my life is awesome. My gaming collection is filled with out-of-print goodies no one else can seem to get their hands on. I have plenty of free time to record podcasts, write blog posts, play games, and hunt the most dangerous game. I have tons of extra cash, which is evident in my caviar-filled swimming pool for the guest house of my third home in the Swiss Alps. And my mother is proud of me because I managed to do all this while supporting small businesses. My secret? NobleKnight.com. A brick-and-mortar game store that has a great online presence. So I feel good shopping there, but I can buy anything, anytime, just by walking to my computer. I don't even need to put on my gold-plated pants. At Noble Knight, they have new and out-of-print products at a discounted price to give me more cash for reckless celebrity activities like bear shaving. And Noble Knight will buy back the old products I'm not using anymore. 
which funds my tiger shaving. So, if you want more money, more free time, a better game collection, and a better you, check out noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. And tell them Big Jimmy from the Tome Show sent you. Today's episode is Roundtable 102, the OGL SRD DM's Guild Strahd Spectacular. There was some huge D&D news this week. There's a 5th edition open gaming license, system reference document, and a new website called the DM's Guild, which allows creators of all experience levels to sell adventures, monsters, backgrounds, and more set in the Forgotten Realms. This is huge, huge news. We'll get into what it all means in the meat of the show. Here's what's coming up in this massive deluxe four-segment roundtable. Segment one. I'm joined by Liz Tice, Rich Howard, Topher Cohan, and Dave Gibson to talk about the news. We talked the day the news dropped, so our excitement is super high and our questions are many. Segment two, I sit down with Nolan Jones of Roll20 to discuss how the announcement affects the virtual table, and he gives us a taste of some upcoming updates. Spoiler alert, good things are coming from his team. Segment three, I'm joined by another panel. This time, it's Jeff Greiner, Sam Dillon, Sean Merwin, Wolfgang Bauer, and Liz Tice again. This was the Sunday after the news had dropped, so many of our questions had been answered. I wanted to get the perspective of people who own and work for gaming companies with products already on the DMs Guild, like Sean and Wolfgang, and Liz was back to talk in her official capacity working for Lone Wolf Development, who you might remember are the creators of Hero Lab and Realmworks. I also had Jeff and Sam on, because those guys are cool and amazing. We also discuss the fact that no one from the Wizards of the Coast D&D team will be attending Gen Con this year, and the leak of a big upcoming announcement. The next D&D story is Ravenloft. Look for The Curse of Strahd coming March 15th. Segment 4, I talk with Adventurers League admin Robert Aducci about how the SRD, OGL, and DMs Guild will affect the D&D organized play program. A lot has changed, so you're going to want to pay attention. All right, let's get into it. Segment one, a panel of awesome people. A huge, huge announcement. We have an SRD and an OGL for the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, in fact, we're talking the day that that was announced. So we haven't all had the chance to go through the 398-page document, uh, but we are going to talk about that because it's just too exciting to pass up. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Are orcs inherently evil? All right, and we will start with you, Topher Cohan. Of course they are. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just like drow are inherently evil. We met one nice drow. Now, everybody thinks drow are nice. We met one nice orc. Everybody thinks orcs are nice. They're inherently evil. They're evil creatures. They should be kept evil. That's gotcha. all I have to say about that. Gotcha. You want them pure evil all the time. All the time. All right. Well, Dave Gibson is also with us at the roundtable today. Dave, are orcs inherently evil? I was going to say yes. And I started thinking that uh, Wizards is always pushing the idea that the multiverse is a default setting. And Eberron is part of the multiverse, which means Eberron is part of the default setting. And one of the core concepts of that was that alignment's a little bit more fluid and that any there's no always, there's just tends to be. So orcs tend to be evil and blue dragons tend to be lawful evil. And since that's the core setting, that means that by default, by the rules, orcs are not always evil. 
Nice, nice. Getting off on a technicality. I like yes. that, Dave Gibson. Thank you. Uh, Liz Tice is with us. Liz, are orcs inherently evil? So I was influenced by the games that I grew up with um, that my dad ran. And of course, when I was young, he didn't have a ton of like super evil races. So there were lizard folk that were nice. There were orcs that were nice because he didn't want, you know, evil orcs beating up on his, you know, seven year old daughter. So, (laughs) so I would say, in my opinion, not all orcs are inherently evil, but that's just impacted by how I grew up. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think we are all impacted by the way we grew up. Uh, Rich Howard, how did you grow up? Are orcs inherently evil? (laughs) How did I grow up? I grew up uh, in a day when, uh, yeah, actually, I guess, I guess my dad did run some games for me. Um, I heard uh, the games my dad ran and I felt instantly old. Um, <laughs> my dad was a little more vicious, I think, than your dad there, Liz. Um, <laughs> he liked uh, entertaining traps. I'm going to say it depends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow out with the cheap answer. Uh, sometimes, sometimes when I'm running games, I just want it to be real clear, real black and white. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like we're, we're out, we're being heroes. Let's not think about the deeper morality. Um, but sometimes I want to run, it depends on the group. Sometimes I want to run something that's a little more interesting. Um, my wife role plays very, uh, very rarely, but she's certainly one of those, one of those players who's like, why are we going into this peaceful village of works and killing everyone and taking their stuff? I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah. I think, I think you can uh, tell some interesting stories with some not evil. Um, but you can tell some fun stories with evil. This is a get-to-know-you question we could actually spend a whole night talking about and debating. But guys, there is too much news to cover, okay? There's too much D&D news, which usually I am scrounging to find things to talk about. Uh, so why don't we first kick it off with a big thing, right? We're going to talk about the OGL and the SRD. It dropped today, the day we are recording this podcast with everybody here. Um, it's out. It's big, it's crazy, it's a 398-page document. The SRD is a system reference document, and what that is is essentially it's a whole bunch of free game material. And OGL is an open gaming license which says, hey, here's how you are allowed to use this material in your own published works. In addition to that, we also saw the release of something called the Dungeon Masters Guild. The Dungeon Masters Guild uh, allows people to publish content. Anybody can go there and and throw up a PDF that works with their terms of agreement. It is uh, available for sale. It's a partnership with the folks over uh, at DriveThruRPG. It allows you to put up stuff in the Forgotten Realms, which is technically outside of the OGL. So the rules are a little different if you're posting something just on the Dungeon Masters Guild. Topher, let's start with you. All right, so a couple things we need to be really clear about. If you're not familiar with documents um, like SRDs, they are not meant for players. They're not meant for DMs. They're meant for content creators. Right. I made an epic mistake today, an epic mistake, and went to Reddit. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and decided I'm going to be a brave human being and read the comments on the announcement about the oh, SRD coming out today. <laughs> because, you know what, in my daily life, I don't get enough abuse. And the amount of people who are complaining about a free document, let's be very clear, it's free. <laughs> it is really just they took part of the, the player's handbook, they took part of the DMG, and they took part of the monster manual. 
They took out the information you needed and put it in a document that if you, someone like James, who has a fantastic blog, worldbuilderblog.me, uh, and creates his own content, he can go here and find this information and use official D&D information in his, in, in his world and, and publish it on the DM Guild, the Dungeon Master Guild, right? So this is fantastic, but it's not meant for you to not have to buy the DMG or not have to buy the Master, Monster Manual or not have to play the player handbook and play at your table. I want to make sure we're really clear about that. That said, this document is freaking incredible. <laughs> um, as someone who has played around with, not at the level of anybody else on this podcast, by any stretch of imagination, of creating some of my own, my own settings and my own worlds and my own um, uh, adventures, this document is great. It's all in one place. It is, it's a searchable PDF, meaning I can just hit, you know, control F and find stuff. And it gives me the official verbiage, the official information, and I can now create monsters and create settings and create adventures and side quests and such like that. And I just think that's incredible. And the fact that Wizards gave us this and now an OGL, which we've been asking for since day one, literally the day fifth edition was announced. When D&D Next was announced, quote unquote, the first thing that people started asking about, is there going to be an OGL? We now have that. And then this all ties into the Dungeon Master Guild, where you can take this information, read the guidelines and publish your stuff online. And if you, if you charge for it, you get, you get some money back. And that, that's a win-win across the board for everyone who plays and everyone who creates this game. Yeah. My first reaction, especially to the Dungeon Master's Guild thing was like, Oh my God, they're trying to make D&D a social media experience, um, you know, to have people throw up their own content because you can throw up an entire adventure, right? But you could also just put up a background and you Correct. could make it zero dollars or pay what you want. Um, so, you know, it's not all necessarily stuff you have to sell. If you have something that you think is a cool monster and you want to put yep. it out there and say it belongs in the Forgotten Realms, you can do that. Yeah, and the key is if you're going to sell it, the, they've announced the breakdown. The published, the writer, the creator will get 50%. The other 50 will get split evenly between one bookshelf and wizards. That's not, a, that's a really good split as a, for, for a creator. You know, you're getting half your money opposed to just a third. We like everything about that. And we also like the fact that it allows you to get that information out there and get feedback. Put it up for zero. Get, let a big group of people download it. Get the feedback. Make the tweaks. It's almost like they're crowdsourcing beta testing. Yes. Yeah, it is. It really is. And, you know, they're going to be able to see, like, oh, what do people really like and what are they attracted to? And it's also a way for them to see what designers are really popping and uh, who can they contract to write the yeah. next adventure and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's a way to gather a lot of metadata, which is really, really great. How about you, Dave Gibson? What did you think of this announcement? Uh, OMFG? It is. It, it blew my mind. I was not expecting this on a, a Tuesday. <laughs> I was. I had actually given up hope. I was. I was thoroughly convinced that the OJL was going to be vaporware. That uh, Hasbro or the suits that was the coast or you know uh, evil elves were keeping it from us, and just there was an intractable uh, barrier between us getting it and what they wanted. And I, I was always thinking that. We don't really need a new open game license. What we need is a new SRD and just use the old one. And that was something I was thinking about. We could do, they could do, that'd be easy. But I never thought they'd actually do that because the old open game license was just so open. Right. I thought they'd do something that was a little between the open game license and the fourth edition game system license. I never thought ever that they'd, just, they'd actually do that. They'd release just a new SRD and do the Dungeon Masters Guild giving us brain to create content for the realms 
that is just mind blowing. It's speechless. It's stupefying. It is a. It's they're looking through it. They, they, there's a lot of information here and scanning through it. It looks like this for anyone who hasn't had a chance to see it. There are um, all the the races and classes from the player's handbook, with a subclass and a subrace, mm-hmm. which seems mostly so that you can you know, reference some of that text. So you know you can reference this is how a a subrace is done. This is how a, a subclass is done without just giving all the content from the player's handbook free. So you don't have a Paizo situation where someone can just make a second player's handbook and copy everything. You have to, you have to make up your own content. So you can have yet one, yet one for free. The first one is free. After that, you have to, you have to make up your own. Yeah. It's like expanded basic rules. basically. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is great. You really could, if you wanted to, right, you could use this whole document to create and play a campaign, um, which is incredible. Uh, and it, it is, I think you're right. This, the linchpin of this whole thing seems to be the Dungeon Masters Guild. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what sort of data and, uh, you know, what sort of business they are able to make, uh, using this. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. Liz Tice, what did you think about the OGL and SRD announcement? So it, it kind of threw off my day. Um, <laughs> I, I had wonderful plans for everything I was going to get done today. Uh, and I had to throw those all out the window. <laughs> and I um, came across a random comment on an e- uh, actually the EN World uh, thread that was talking about the Tome Show podcast and the interview that James um, did with Rob a few days ago. And someone mentioned just sort of offhand, oh, look at what I found. (laughs) um, I sort of stared at it stupidly for a few minutes thinking, no, that can't be what I think it is, isn't it? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it is. Uh, And it's sort of been a crazy day since then. I haven't even had a chance to go through all of it quite yet. Um, I think what I was really excited to see, though, was the Dungeon Masters Guild. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm personally excited from you know my company standpoint about the SRG, but the Dungeon Masters Guild is just an incredible idea. Bravo to Wizards! Um, <laughs> I, I it's it's a phenomenal opportunity for um, people to get their work out there. I mean, I was excited to see stuff from. Some of my favorites, like Cobalt Press, up, up there already. But I immediately thought, oh my gosh, James is going to be able to put his stuff up on there. <laughs> and that was just great because there's so many, so many content creators out there that, you know, aren't with the, the bigger third party publishers that are going to really have a chance to have their content shine in a way that they wouldn't be um, as easily able to without something like this. So I'm excited to see how that how that evolves over time. Yeah, yeah. I am definitely excited to see how this is going to go. And I was expecting to go on there and think like, oh man, it's going to be flooded with stuff already. I haven't even had a chance to read about it. Uh, and it is. A lot of stuff is already up there. Uh, you know, it's been up for less than 12 hours uh, and people are going crazy. So, uh, and, and thanks for the shout outs, uh, Liz and Topher. I appreciate that. Uh, well, I mean, I just wasn't just saying that. I, I uh, honestly thought to myself, oh, James is going to love this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to see what you put up there. I am. Yeah, yeah. I need to like go proofread and format stuff now uh, if I'm going <laughs> to sell it. So, uh, first of all, yes, I was like Liz. One of the first things I thought was, all right, now James needs to get off his butt and start publishing. Uh, secondly, 
I think this is the first time I've been on a roundtable podcast before we get to Richard. Mm-hmm. That we've had this many people gush about Wizard of the Coast and not <laughs> say anything bad yet. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Before we get to a negative, I don't know what he's going to say, but this could be the most. Uh, yes, it's true. Rich Howard is the most negative person in tabletop RPGs. Uh, uh, Rich, what did you think of the OGL SRD announcement? Um, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't get much done. I actually, um, I actually went to, I went to Tribality. And uh, I just happened to pop over there right, sometime before lunch, and I was like, "What is this thing that Michael Long posted? Wait, what? What's happening? What's going on?" And then I think I immediately uh, messaged you, James. Yes. <laughs> like I messaged a bunch of other people too, um, just like, "Hey, did you guys notice this?" And I think everybody, everybody kind of got a hold of it before I did. So I, I, I don't know. And then I popped on there, and there's actually. Um, I actually have material on there already. Um, yes. Did not know. So I guess Wolfgang over at um, over at Cobalt put together some bits and pieces from Dan Dillon's Midgard Heroes and my Southlands Heroes and kind of put it together and and uh, put it up there. So I'm I didn't even know it was happening. And then there's material up there already. <laughs> so um, uh, which is fantastic. Dan Dillon is an amazing designer. You should go check that out. Um, but and yeah, so is Rich Howard. You should check that out too. So thank you, thank you. For uh, so that, I was fishing. I was fishing. Uh, so I went to. Needless to say, um, Sean and Michael and Brandis and all the guys over at uh, Tribality and I started chatting back and forth uh, behind the scenes. So we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a bit of a meeting to see kind of how that affects our website. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what we can do, um, but needless to say, it opens up a, a ridiculous number of options. I've had people asking me about whether I'm going to do an aquatic campaign setting <laughs> and things like that, based on my from the depth stuff. And and I've been thinking about it. And I've you know I ran some games. It hasn't been released yet, but uh, RPG Gamer Dad. I ran a game, an aquatic five E setting for him, and that that had some had some stuff in it. I want to post, but. Since I do mostly 5e now, it's just one of those things where I didn't think a campaign setting, the time that would put into it besides, you know, around my own table was going to bring money back um, for the time expanse, particularly since I get hired as freelance work that does pay. So um, this is a, it's a game changer. <laughs> and, and, and I agree with, I agree with all of you guys, man, this, this DM guild thing, where the heck did that come from? Like... <laughs> Seriously, like I, I went on there and I, I'm like, this is really good. You guys did really good. This could be amazing. And it, I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but I looked on there and I was like, oh, look, they have, um, they have stock art for sale. And then I looked at the stock art and I'm like, wait, this stock art is free. And if you look at what they posted, it says that this is stock art. Basically, you can download and use for free if you're going to create material that gets posted on DMs Guild. That's crazy town, <laughs> crazy town. So people who people really small press or, or just DMs in general who don't have enough money to pay for stock art can now at least legally put together some, you know, you want to do a thing on why orcs aren't evil. You know, you got orc stock art that you can use in your thing to make it look a little better than just, you know, um, some typed up stuff hacked together. I, I'm, I'm, 
as forward as everybody else. Sorry, I tried to think of something negative to say, but it just didn't come up. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. I couldn't do it. I, I was trying. I was trying. The most of the negativity that I've seen, at least uh, following the the conversations on EN World, are a lot of what Topher said about people not really understanding that this the the SRD specifically was for content creators. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not you know the basic rules or uh, substitution for the player's handbook that this is this is different than um, it's it's not a consumer product right. and I think that's where a lot of the the confusion and is coming from and a lot of where people are saying oh, not what I want um, and I don't think that's fair so if you don't know what the C, uh, SRD is go you know go find out maybe James can put a link in the um, show notes uh, because it, it it does have a specific purpose um, and it's it's not a consumer product uh, yeah I mean I have to I have to kind of back you know everybody up on this too um, it, okay so it's not a consumer product it's only 396 <laughs> pages of material yes that you could entirely play d d forever. <laughs> for free so i mean you combine that with the stuff that's up on all of our websites man you is there not enough backgrounds in there go to worldbuilderblog.me there's a million there and they're fantastic so like you can there's so much free material out there from great designers i don't i don't see any reason why people need to be wound up let's talk about right the, the all of the other free stuff that's happening you can get so much free stuff just on the dungeon masters guild website now uh, and uh, Rich, like you said, the art that blew me away when I saw that. It was like, yeah. oh, cool! I can get art for free. Oh, cool! I can use this art for free in a thing I can sell. <laughs> like that is is mind boggling. And I just want to take a quick moment and shout out that currently the number five title on the DMs Guild is uh, Savage Heroes, which credits Rich Howard as the oh. first author. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> nice. It was nine earlier. I, I think I was like, oh, it's nine. Maybe there's only 10 things on there currently. I don't know. Um, but the artwork in that and stuff like that, that uh, Wolfgang put together is pretty fantastic too. He made a beautiful looking product. Yeah, yeah, and it is a it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we will link all of that, of course, in the show notes over at thetomeshow.com. We definitely want to know what everybody out there thinks about the OGL and the SRD. Go hit us up over at thetomeshow.com or at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Where can people find you on the internet, Topher? Uh, they can find me uh, all over the internet. They can find me on the Facebook at Topher Cohan, that's T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-A-N. They can find me on the Twitters, at Topher ATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Uh, also on the Google Plus, if you um, like to have a social network that nobody uses. Um, you can also, uh, every Wednesday night, I am at the Titans Game Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, helping them run D&D Adventures League. So if you live in the Smyrna area, um, come by and say hi. I'm also the Southeast Regional Coordinator for Adventures League. So if you have any questions, hit me up and I will talk to you all you want to because I love me some of that stuff. Thank you very much, Topher Cohan. Uh, and Dave Gibson, where can people find you? Twitter at, at DNDJester. And you can read my blog and webcomic over at uh, 5MWD. It's a five-minute workday, new comic every 
Tuesday, Thursday, and probably very quickly, uh, it's my 5e content on uh, drive-through RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Excellent. yes yeah check out dave's stuff he is amazing dave thank you very much for being on the round table today uh liz where can people find you you can find me on twitter my twitter handle is at liz tice um if you don't know how to spell that it's at liz the is thank you very much for being on the show today liz and rich where can people find you well i'm also on twitter i'm at at umbral walker U-M-B-R-A-L Walker. Uh, and of course, you can also find me on tribality.com with all the fantastic writers that are over there. Go check that out. And then I do have my own blog, as you mentioned, um, gameschangelives.com. Uh, that has not been updated <laughs> recently because I do you know, a couple of, couple of columns a week, sometimes at Tribality. So, um, but there is some other material over there. And if you're playing Pathfinder, I do have another website that I actually don't send out too much it's actually pathfinderd20.com um i ran um jade regent and uh put up a bunch of notes about how i ran it and how i converted things and how i used um, published maps and minis and things like that to, to bring the game to the table so people might be interested in checking that out Excellent. Excellent. Well, guys, uh, thank you very much, Rich Howard, for being here on the roundtable. And look forward to the 2020 release of Rich Howard and James and Jacasso's <laughs> Undersea, uh, Underdark campaign under, setting about I thought it was Underdark under dark. Oceans. <laughs> I thought it was Underdark, Undersea. Is it Undersea, Underdark? I think we go back uh, it's, and forth. It changes. It changes. I think, every, I think every, time, so. I think we, every time we talk about it, we should just reverse it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep <laughs> so, or deep, deep, dark. To uh, deep. Wow, it's dark in here. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, look forward to that uh, because now we can do it. Um, all right, guys. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Okay, everybody, here's segment two, my interview with Nolan Jones of Roll20. So, everybody, I am here with Nolan T. Jones of Roll20. Nolan, welcome back to the roundtable. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is a pleasure to have you on. Uh, in light of a very exciting announcement from Wizards of the Coast, Roll20, as I've said before, is, of course, my virtual table of choice where I play D&D every Monday night. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about what this announcement means for Roll20. Well, it, it means a whole heck of a lot in terms of if you search play Dungeons and Dragons online, we're the first thing that comes up. And so, <laughs> and so whenever anything big happens in Dungeons and Dragons land, uh, it's, it's a, uh, an exhaustive day in, in my land. Uh, I, I think the number one thing is just going to be helping people. And it, I can say this in terms of working with the 3.5 uh, systems reference document, uh, the, the SRD for 3.5. Is, is getting an understanding of, okay, guys, not everything is in there, and you need to actually look at what is and isn't in that 398-page document they released uh, yesterday to know what you can and cannot do. And I, I think that's really the, the biggest thing on our end. Um, it, does, it, it obviously frees us up to do some things as Roll20. Right. Uh, like, I, I think um, we, maybe by the time this is out, We'd been working on the on the possibility of, of maybe uh, how do we solve uh, for a fifth edition character sheet because it's one of those things. All of our character sheets are community contributed, 
And so we had gone, well, what would we do since it is the most played game, but we didn't have anything in place to allow us to put something out? Well, this allows us to put out a basic character sheet. And uh, we already have a compendium that uses the uh, the SRD for Pathfinder, and we were going to be adding to specifically um, Pilgrim Press and Fire Opal had asked us to do some stuff with their 13th Age SRD that we were looking at. And so we've got the uh, the skeleton there, and this is something that we will absolutely, as the number one played system, uh, we just put out an industry report the other day uh, that points out, I think, something like uh, 30-some percent of players and games on Roll20 are 5th edition. So it, it is definitely in our best interest to get what we can uh, from those 398 pages uh, up and available to everybody at our new compendium. Excellent. And of course, when you talk about uh, helping the community at large who is coming to you, you're talking about people, obviously, through Roll20 can submit modules and things like that, right? It's funny because it's not just that. I think that's the most important element because, uh, obviously, the moment that you put money on something, it becomes uh, – everybody's a little bit more interested in what's going on there. But I, I even had just regular old users being like, so I can make a campaign and shove the monster manual in there and just share it with everybody I know now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, as a matter of fact, you can't even say that. Like the word monster manual is part of product identity, uh, which is, you know, the things that they specifically say in the second paragraph of this document that you cannot use. So no, 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 no. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it, it, it's part of it is that marketplace element of people selling stuff, but part of it is just general users. Uh, it, I, I think there is something of a, I don't know, a belief that, that the door has magically been thrown open and everything is allowed, and that's just not at all the case, uh, which, you know, and not to, not to be raining on the parade, because <laughs> there definitely is plenty of cool that's happened with this. Um, but I, I mean, even I, I saw Mike Merles on Twitter say something like, you know, the, the only spells that were put back out were spells that were in the 3.5 SRD. Right. So it's it's not like I don't know. It's 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 cool, but it's not the sort of revolution that people should uh, be jumping to conclusions without reading. <laughs> would be my <laughs> my greatest caution. Right. Right. Exactly. And a system reference document is really meant for people in the industry who are going to be creating content. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not necessarily meant for players, although it is a great document to have if you are playing the game. It is 400 pages of free D&D, but you yeah. want to be sure you're reading it and not, you know, putting beholders in adventures that you might publish online somewhere. Just like you say, and beyond that, too, know that it doesn't mean that, you know, it, if you copy something from a book, it doesn't mean that it's, it's, uh, it's just cool to share with your friends, like, (laughs) which is, which is a bizarre belief that, you know, some folks, well, I, I copied it. No, that's not, that is not how copyright works, oddly enough. (laughs) Well, and before you worked for, uh, Roll20, before you founded Roll20, you were working in the comic book industry, right? Yeah. So you know a lot about, uh, copyright and IP law, I imagine. I'm, I'm married to a lawyer, too, so... (laughs) Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I was I was thinking about this because uh, we've had you know several people ask us for opinions on you know what is what is happening with this and what all it means. And I was I was sitting down to think about it, and I went, you know what? I bet that I am in the top five people outside of Wizards of the Coast uh, in terms of looking at and understanding this document, uh, like. Uh, Lisa Stevens going off and founding all of Pathfinder by the holes opened 
via the the 3.5 SRD <laughs> is is probably number one. She's got it on lock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I bet I'm somewhere in that top ten list in terms of people who have had to deal with. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Here's what you can and cannot do. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. I, I mean, it is great, and it is a great thing. You guys are putting, like you said, probably a character sheet. You're going to bring the SRD into uh, the things that you're doing. It sounds like people are going to be able to start putting modules up for sale. It, uh, it, we are crazy excited about that. In, in terms of um, having a window to do 5th um, edition style content in modules that's that means a whole heck of a lot um well and and two i think it's a it's a great boon for creators because we're the only place in town that you're going to get 70 percent profits (laughs) off of selling such a thing so there's a definite advantage for for us and for them in terms of getting some fifth edition content as uh professional professional caliber stuff um on the marketplace as soon as we can yeah, in fact, speak a little bit to the creators out there. You know, we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who use Roll20 um, who maybe have never purchased a module or never submitted a module. Uh, talk a little bit about your model because I think it is really the best that I have ever Well, it, it's one of those things, like, it, it, I think this, the only thing that's really sad in my mind is that there's not many. I mean, there, there really are just about a dozen modules at this point because it is, it, it's a professional-level undertaking to some degree. Uh, to do this, but essentially putting maps, tokens, stats into the Roll20 interface, like you're getting it ready to play yourself and then, you know, putting it up for purchase for a, for a game master. And we've seen uh, Monty Cook Games uh, has taken advantage of it and done some things with The Strange uh, that, have, that have worked very well. We've got a lot of uh, third-party Pathfinder modules, people that have gone and done um, things using that system that that are you know it's their own setups and own worlds within that in terms of what they are and aren't allowed to do with the SRD, but it it's uh, definitely within the Pathfinder rule system, which is cool. And then there's things like we have up complete games like Simple System and uh, the Quiet Year, where the creators of those have gone ahead and you know they're they're more limited term um, sessions, and you can just go buy them and jump in and play. And Ed, I would love to get more of every sort of content just because it's such a convenient if, – if you're not the sort of – if you're the sort of game master that likes something to, to fall back on or a early in your, in your career of game mastering and you really want something to hold your hand, a module is great. Mm-hmm. And I think that as time goes on, we're going to see more and more people using this as a way to – like. Uh, I would say my, my perfect scenario for what would be cool to have on the marketplace would be, uh, like, have you ever used a dungeon delve? Oh, uh, sure. Like, yeah, like like one of those you can just pull out an adventure and, okay, my, my characters are about this level and there's already you know a, a story hook, a map, and stats for what you're fighting. If somebody went and set up those sorts of things in Roll20, I, I think that is... Uh, as great an opportunity as there is. And now we have access to the rules for the most popular system that's, that's currently being played on us. So I know somebody's going to take up on doing those sorts of things. It's just a question of how soon. Well, uh, listeners out there, uh, take note. This is what they're looking for. And I would yeah. love to have that. There are so many times where I've come home on a Monday. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't do anything to prepare for my game. Yep. 
and I would, I would, you know, immediately drop some cash to uh, have something ready to roll. So uh, I'm really, really, really pumped uh, that this possibility has now opened up for Fifth Edition, well, which is the game that I play and a ton of other people play. And, and the uh, the other nice thing in terms of doing it with us is that we uh, we view ourselves as exclusively just a marketplace. Uh, so when you're, when you're signing a deal with us, you're signing a deal with us to distribute it. We don't take any ownership of what you're doing and we take a 30% cut of, of the, the price. That's it. Uh, as a matter of fact, we play, we pay the credit card fees out of our 30%. It really, it's a better deal than you can, you can get anywhere in terms of digital sales, including as a guy who's done a lot in comics. Uh, I wish I got that good a deal at any of the place that I had tried to sell comics through. <laughs> yeah, it's super easy. Like, I'm not a great artist, uh, but I could build a map in Roll20. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. No, it really is. It's not It's not the hardest thing. It, it can be time-consuming, but anybody who has set up a game to play in Roll20 knows exactly how far that rabbit hole can go. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and I will say, you know, when, when we're looking at a module, we're looking for that rabbit hole to go fairly far. And sure. we're looking for somebody to have really taken the time to preset something. But if you're one who has ever set up that session that you just needed to be the perfect session where absolutely every token had every stat on it and, you know, the the fog of war dynamic lighting type stuff was just absolutely perfect. Uh, if you've ever done that, it, you can monetize that by if you own the rights to the artwork that you're using or if you work with an artist, you can sell it. So <laughs> jump, jump in on it. So before we go, mm-hmm. uh, is there anything else you want to tell us about Roll20 that's coming down the pipeline that people should get excited about? Like I said, we definitely will be looking at something character sheet and uh, and implementing SRD type things down the line in our compendium. But our plans outside of that and things that you know haven't gone, okay, where, where do we get those things on the schedule going forward? We've been working really hard on some uh, some one-click API installation. So uh, with our application programming interface right now, there's a ton of things that uh, real power users have put in that you can, whether it's rolling and having an automatic result from things like Edge of the Empire, Star Wars Die, or having a blood trail come behind a character that's been bloodied, or automatically patrolling tokens, um, we wanted to take some of those crazy awesome things that people have programmed and say, okay, well, here is a repository where even if you aren't a programmer, you could look at what other people are doing. It's very similar into what we've done with character sheets. That you know, we don't we don't handle the bulk of the character sheets on Roll Twenty. People have created uh, those sheets for use by the community, and even though I don't know how to program, I can use their sheets. And so we're trying to get the API to a place where where folks are going to be able to do more of that. And so that's probably the next big thing uh, we're hoping to have here in the next few months ready for people. That is mind blowing. <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> like there's so many different things people have created using API that I can't even fathom uh, how you would begin to tackle that. So I'm super, super excited it's, to check that out. It, it really comes down to we want it to be more of a you, you pull something from the library. Like right now, even as a non-programmer, I can go in and go where the script is shared and copy it and put it in and hope I didn't break something. Uh, but but we're trying to make it even easier and uh, dummy proof to to you know make certain that anybody can can hop in and give a try with some of these bigger features. 
Uh, it's just a question of you know how much testing is going to take to get it to the point that we need to, and what our rules are going to be for what can go in the library that everybody can fiddle with. But yeah, it's it's coming along nicely, and uh, on top of that, we just hired two new people, one on the programming side and one on the promotion side to help us out with all this. So it's been a really busy month uh, in Roll20 land. Yes, yeah, it has, and I'm sure the announcement yesterday probably shattered everything for you. It was, it was a definitely a man, even more work. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm presenting at Otakon this week a panel on uh, Japanese popular culture as it relates to tabletop gaming, and I'm, I'm not quite. It, it'll be ready in time. Uh, but it was definitely putting in some more work on trying to get that presentation up to my standards, and it was like, uh, I just lost six hours of work today because I'm going to have to answer emails on this, that, and the other and get on the forums and make certain that everybody who has questions about this you know, takes a, takes a second to think about it before they go and try to copy the entire monster manual into their... <laughs> so, yeah, it, it definitely uh, derailed a few hours for me, but I think, uh, I think it'll settle down in the coming weeks. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, before you go, uh, I'll just mention real fast that if you haven't tried Roll20 yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's totally free. Uh, so go check it out. And of course, there's tons and tons of cool things that are community created that you could buy. And if you upgrade your membership subscription, you get access to dynamic lighting and the API and all this other cool stuff. But it is free to try. You get so much for free. It's not even, I don't understand how your business model is successful, actually. Um. <laughs> it, it, it's an amazing it, think of it like it, I, I, I feel like it's very much similar if we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons it's the way Dungeons and Dragons everybody knows what it is and and so many people have played it but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's bought a rule book but enough people have bought a rule book that there's a big old company turning out rule books and we're we're the same that you know enough people are buying things enough people are running multiple games and want to use things like dynamic lighting or just have better campaign organization that you know there no not all 1.3 million people that use roll 20 uh are anywhere close <laughs> to that subscribe but it's enough now that we've got eight people on staff so it's definitely going well Excellent. Well, I am super glad to hear that, and uh, I hope that you guys keep growing, and this D&D announcement is a good thing for you. Where can people find you personally online? Uh, at NolanTJ on Twitter is probably the, the most up-to-date. Uh, you, can, you can see me complain about the Star Wars movie a lot there, uh, for better or for worse, <laughs> and, and find out what anime I'm watching at the moment and uh, how angry I am about Sports Development X. <laughs> so. awesome awesome well uh nolan thank you so much for coming on the round table today uh thank you for having me people it is time for segment three another panel of awesome people okay everybody so now i am here with liz tice sam Dillon, jeff griner sean merwin and wolfgang bauer guys Welcome to the roundtable. We are going to be talking about the OGL, the SRD, and the DMs Guild, and sort of what that means for everybody in their uh, their various jobs and hobbies and things like that. Um, so why don't we start with you, Jeff? Uh, you know, you are the, the master of the Tome Show Network. What sure. does all of this news about the OGL, SRD, and DMs Guild mean to you? It's a fulfillment of things we've been sort of promised for a year or more now, right? Um, they've been two. talking. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they've been talking since 
fifth edition came out that they were working on something. And then it turns out what they're working on is um, releasing the exact same OGL that they'd released in 2000, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is literally the exact same OGL. They just updated the SRD for fifth edition. Um, and, and I think they've done some interesting things with it where they've, they've figured out a way to use the old license, but, but create an SRD in such a way that um, allows people to publish fifth edition material without running into the same problems they ran into in third edition. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you don't have, I mean, you have 398 pages available, Mm -hmm. which is a ton of SRD, but you don't have every single subclass, every single sub race available. Right. They they gave you sort of a taste of each little section so that you could play with those mechanics. And there's, there's some glaring mechanics that are missing Mm -hmm. that, that you can't really play with, but which I think protects the value of, of their products. Right. You still need want to buy a player's handbook. You can't just play the game straight out of the SRD like you could in the third edition SRD in many ways. You know, so if you want all the options, if you want all the races, if you want all the, the different builds for the different classes, you still need to buy their products. Um, and I think that was not necessarily a bad move, but it, but it gives people a lot of wiggle room, right? They included um, one patron for Warlock, for example, so that the concept becomes part of the SRD and you can build other patrons and things to go along with it. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly with spells, we don't see everything single spell, but you know, we see a ton of spells in there. Mm -hmm. Um, What about the, the DM skill? You're a realms guy, right? So does this, is this make you want to like, Oh, now all kinds of people are playing in the realms and you can go and and check out adventures and races and classes and backgrounds and all that good stuff. Uh, Is that an exciting prospect for you? The DM skill? Um, there are elements of that that are exciting for me um, because it allows people that I know and trust to work on the realms to publish stuff in the realms that I know will be good and and consistent with the the way the realms should work. Uh, and then I have the the fear that um, the third edition glut of products is now going to come to the realms and it'll be hard to sort the wheat from the chaff. I'll basically just buy um, stuff from the James brothers and Brian Cortijo and Eric Scott to be, and then pretty much, you know, call that good enough. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. People I know who publish good realm stuff that know the realms. Sure. Sure. Well, and Sam, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what this means for you? You, you know, you have the blog RPG musings.com where you put mm-hmm. some of your homebrew content on sometimes, uh, you right. know, you're, you certainly get into the design and the tinker of things. What does all of this mean for you? The SRD is a delightful surprise. I, I honestly had predicted that the whatever they put out is not going to be as open as it was in the third edition days. And yet here we are. Thank you, Watsi. You have created an OGL that is basically the same as the third edition with a, with a more constrained SRD that allows us to play with concepts and doesn't give us, you know, the whole ranch. And I think that is excellent. It, that, that bodes very well for me because it means I can still keep playing in the sandbox and uh, staying away from Forgotten Realms, because I stay away from that anyway, uh, and still produce things and say, hey, you know, you could use this with your 5th edition game. Uh, and that's very enticing. Um, the DM's Guild part of it doesn't entice me as much just because I'm not a Realms guy. Uh, and I get the benefit of it. I understand the benefit of it. And uh, apparently also, um, they did an AMA on Reddit a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the things that they mentioned, the two specific things they mentioned were not just the Forgotten Realms or the, the parts of the Forgotten Realms that they've talked about within 5th edition, like the Sword Coast, but also things like Karatur and um, Al-Kadim, which are historically were a part of uh, Forgotten Realms at some point in their histories. Those things are also part of DM Guild properties. So you yeah, actually – Oh, it's so true. I heard it. I saw that on the AMA. Yeah. I'm like, Al-Kadim, baby, here I come. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking so, forward to that new 5th edition Al-Kadim yeah. source book from you. Yeah, I've, it's one so of my that, favorites. I'm yeah, headed so, that way. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really great thing. But also the second thing that they said was they really are interested in using the DM Guild as a way to sort of vet and find new and upcoming exciting writers. Mm-hmm. And then offering those people, you know, buying their 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 IP basically, and incorporating it into canon, but then also giving freelance work to those new and upcoming RPG stars. Basically, that's very that's a very awesome thing. I don't. I'm still not planning on writing for the DMs Guild, so that doesn't actually directly affect me. But I think it's a really great thing, and I think that uh, it can offer so many opportunities for different people. I do think that that there's a little bit of of fear in me, like what Jeff said about the OGL glut, and you know, it's going to be hard to separate just anything from what's really great. But I think there's going to be so many people on there that the hottest product list, you know, the top 10 sellers or what have you, maybe the top 20 sellers, those things are going to already have been separated. That's why they're going to be the top sellers. Right. So right. I'm not going to have to do a ton of work to separate the wheat from the chaff in that case. I think the rest of the fan base is going to do that pretty well for me. Gotcha. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, I'm, but I'm hoping and, you know, so there you go. <laughs> well, Wolf, Wolfgang and Sean, why don't we hit up you guys? What does this mean for you? Because you certainly, you know, you are game designers, you are players, you are dungeon masters, um, and then you also have companies uh, that can now, you know, put out material with the OGL and the SRD. And you were some of the first people to have products on the DMs Guild website. Um, you know, what does all of this mean for you guys? And Wolfgang, if you want to go first, and then Sean, you can follow up if that helps. Sure. Um, I mean, for Cobalt Press, for my publishing side of things, the OGL is just so welcome, produces a lot of clarity about what's in. Um, and it means that when I publish our monster manual this summer, the Tome of Beasts, I, I can publish it under the OGL and it's very low anxiety, right? There's there's less gray area and confusion <laughs> about it. See, I kind um, of assumed that you, you knew this was coming about this time when you kickstarted it. Well, um, they've been telling me soon for a long time, and, uh, <laughs> but they've been saying that they're going to do one forever. It was just hard to keep faith with that after the first year or so, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so yeah, eventually I said, I am an optimist at heart, and I think it's coming in this time frame. So they didn't tell me anything about a date, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had a sense of it. So, so yeah, Tomo Beast will be, you know... Um, OGL, that that's great. Um, and frankly, we're already adding stuff uh, to the SRD from Cobalt Press. The uh, the 5esrd.com, um, the hyperlinked version of the SRD that's already up on the web, um, has some Cobalt Press material on it. It has the Gearforged race nice. uh, from, from Midgard. I mean, it's got the, the IP bits stripped out, but um, it's already there. Um, the DMs Guild is a little more complicated for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's really wonderful for newcomers and fans and people who say, hey, I want to give this a shot in the realms specifically, right? So for realms fans, it's wonderful. For Akadim fans or Oriental Adventures, Caratour, that's great. You get to play in their sandbox. But they own everything, right? Let's be clear about that part. <laughs> DMs Guild stuff, you're basically saying, I don't own this IP. Um, so for Cobalt Press, um, that means we're really pursuing things like, what would we do with an Alkadim supplement? How would we expand on Tyranny of Dragons a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. What else could we do um, that is in the realms and where we could do something interesting? Um, I, for your, anyone homebrewing or doing their own worlds, it just doesn't seem like a good venue for that. It seems likely that third-party publishers are going to look to uh, other places to to continue to put up their new worlds. And if you're a new writer who's excited about their world and their IP and you say, well, I don't want to just give it to Wizards. I want to build up my own fan base outside the DMs Guild. Um, you know, that the usual sorts of venues apply. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good point to, 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 make, to make again maybe that um, the OGL and the SRD, the people who are using that, are not going to be the same people using the DM Guild, or at least the products that they're producing are not going to overlap. Right. Because no. the DM Guild license, the, the community use agreement that you sign when you uh, submit something to the DM Guild, literally gives WotC the IP. Like you, you are – for for a payment of fifty percent royalties or whatever that product makes, you are giving them your your brain energy that you used to write that product. And as I said, for somebody who's wants to break into the industry, that is maybe a fantastic mm-hmm. way to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, people for, coming up yeah. through organized play, through um, right, absolutely, Adventures League, yeah. you know, kind of things. This replaces the, what the magazines used to do, or what Paizo right. does with their contest. It helps right. them find the talent. Yeah, and finding talent is really hard. (laughs) And you and you don't have to you don't have to sweat and and farm out you know twenty you know uh, one paragraph you know descriptions of what you want to write for the magazine and and you know wonder if they're going to accept your your article submission. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can just write it, put it on DM Guild, and that's a fantastic thing. But for someone like me who I don't want to give away my IP. And there are some gray areas about whether they keep the whole IP or how that all works. Um, it is it is a, a hard enough line for me that I, there's no way I could put anything that I produce on DM Guild because I don't ever want to give up that IP. Yeah. I'm n- not that I'm you know some big publisher and I'm planning <laughs> on making a million dollars. Don't get me wrong. I just want to be able to have full control over my own work no matter what. Sure. But I also run my own website, so <laughs> lots of people don't have that either. So you know. Yeah. Yeah, and there's another angle with DMs Guild where it's becoming this de facto channel for organized play, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and they've they've made it very clear that organized play authors now, um, their materials will be paid for through sales on the DMs Guild. Right. And <laughs> yeah, well, sort of. <laughs> Maybe. Except that the stores aren't real happy about it. the stores that host these weekly events. They seem, at least in the AMA, seem kind of pissed off. Sure. Right. It depends. It's going to depend on the store. Organized play and wizards and stores have had a relationship that has swung wildly. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the stores are a good place to 
obviously draw in new players. But Wizards is often burned by providing material to the stores, but then not getting the return on that investment. And it all depends on the store as well. Some stores are absolutely great. They, They do exactly what they're supposed to do with the material. They even go above and beyond. And the stores benefit, the players benefit, and Wizards benefits. But there are some stores that take the free material that Wizards gives them, says that they're going to run all this stuff, and then sells it on eBay. Right. Mm-hmm. And for, so, for big money in a lot of cases. Yeah, very oh. sad. Yeah, that's really and, bad. You know, I have seen stuff that I have written specifically for these events, which I don't get paid a lot for, but I get paid a little bit for for Wizards, being sold for almost as much as I was paid for to write it being sold for. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a strange kind of back and forth relationship and half the people always cheer when it's okay. (laughs) This is no longer exclusive to stores. People who don't have access to stores say, hooray, I can finally play. Whereas the people that were getting free stuff are now saying, well, I'm never going to play again because now I'm not getting it for free. So it's, there's, there's got to be a happy balance somewhere, but you're never going to hit it because there's always the wide variety of people and their needs and their desires and their what they feel they're entitled to. So, Sean, while we're on this subject, then, let me ask you real fast. You write a lot of adventures for the Adventurers League. You write many of their expeditions, which now are available to everybody, which previously weren't. And they're not being called expeditions anymore. Um but uh, they are going to be an adventure. So does this strike you as a great thing now that you're going to be paid sort of on the commission of the sales of your adventure as opposed to being paid whatever the you know standard fee for writing an Adventures League adventure is? I think we're going to find that out relatively quickly. <laughs> uh, I believe that in the, long run, in the long run, I will end up making more because they are sold than I would make getting a direct you know, payment from wizards. Uh, but I think it's not going to be a great deal more. Gotcha. Now, once, once they become uh, fully adventures that are only released through, uh, you know, through the DMs Guild, then I might see it, it creep a little bit higher because right now a lot of people who play organized play have access to these already, so obviously they're not buying them. Right. But when the only way to get them is, is through the DMs Guild, uh, then we'll see. I think it's going to work out. I'll probably end up making a little bit more, but I'm not going to be sending my kid to college. Sure. (laughs) And does your workload change now? Like, are you responsible for layout uh, and that sort of thing? Or were you always responsible for that when you were writing one of the adventures? So far, nothing has changed. Um, The one that I have just turned in, uh, everything was done the exact same way. I'm not responsible for – I'm responsible for following the template but not for any layout beyond that. Um, you know, I have to supply maps but they will pretty the maps up. Excellent. And so, so, so far nothing has changed in, in, that, in that area. That's really, that's really, really cool. So then this is, uh, just before we get to Liz and Liz, I know you're, you're chomping at the bit. Uh, so I promise we will get to you. Uh, but I just wanted to, so then to you and to Wolfgang, who both have your own companies, uh, Cobalt Press and Encoded Designs that are putting stuff out there. 
the the IP, when you look in the FAQ and when you look at the agreement, the, things are very strange, right? Like Wizard says that they don't own your IP outright, um, that they can contact you to buy it if they want to bring you into the canon. Uh, so, but then they also say that, you know, your material shouldn't be somewhere else if you're posting it on the DMs Guild. Um, and that other creators can use it and have access to it and you sort of forfeit those rights when you post stuff up on the DMs Guild website. So Wolfgang, like with your uh, your book, which has been in the top five since the day uh, the DMs Guild launched, so congratulations on that. That's great. Thanks. Um, so your uh, your book, which is the Savage Heroes, uh, New Races and Backgrounds, um, yep. does that mean that those races and backgrounds can appear anywhere else? And Sean, a well, similar question I, with your adventure. It's the... Part of the reason I chose races that are generic is, well, they're lizard folk and minotaurs and gnolls, right? Right, right. So the savage heroes, um, I guess they could claim that the minotaur is exclusive IP, but (laughs) pursuing the case to say that no one can use minotaurs anywhere else, um, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Right, right. Right? So, I mean, it was meant to to be a quick, hey, let's do uh, some popular monstrous races that people want to play. I think most of the material that I'm going to put up there is going to be very much realm-specific, Al-Kadim-specific, you know, invested in Wizards IP rather than the first shot, which was, hey, we are giving you a tiny heads up, can you do something over the weekend (laughs) kind of deal. Right, Um, right. Which which is sort of where that came from, right? I mean, that was that was put together pretty quickly. I think you see the first wave of material is a lot of things taken out of organized play uh, or taken out of existing, you know, ideas, pretty straightforward. Um, I'm going to be curious what comes in the second wave where people have had time to digest the license, look at the art assets that they're providing, and start rolling some of those things into their releases. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right. So it sounds like you're probably going to be using this for what it's really meant for, which is posting a lot of realm-specific material, and you can't really do that anywhere else. Um, Right, and I don't know how much that's going to be, right? Maybe that's three or four products a year. Maybe it's 20 tiny ones. It's hard to say at this point. Sales are, to be honest, sales are really modest. Sure, sure. (laughs) Being in the top 10 doesn't mean thousands of sales. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Sean, why don't you talk a little bit, too, then, uh, about your feelings kind of on that uh, with your encoded designs work? Well, one thing to make clear right away is encoded designs is nothing compared to Cobalt Press. (laughs) You know, we we call ourselves like a hippie gaming commune. So it's just, you know, four (laughs) or five guys who each have different skill sets, and we just pass around whatever work we're working on. So, you know, the layout person does the layout. The editor becomes the writer. The writer becomes the editor. And so our adventure, you know, Wolfgang talked about turning something around in three days. Our adventure is literally turned around in three days. It was 72 hours of work and all put together. But it was based on something. I had written a an article for uh, Dragon Magazine, 2012, I think, called Backdrop Moonshine Isles. Mm. And the article was just a, if you're a DM, here is why you should use the Moonshine Isles because there's a lot of great things. And I just kind of laid out different stories you could tell. So in writing this adventure, all I did was take that article, uh, update some things uh, based on the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and then say, all right, let's create a low-level adventure. 
and and that's what we did. So everything there is, you know, Watsy material. It's even though I wrote it uh, originally, it's still, you know, it's their stuff. It's Moonshay. It's the NPCs that that are there. We created a couple of new monsters, uh, but nothing. You know, nothing drastic, nothing IP related that I wouldn't happily hand over to Wizards, and and that's what I've been doing my whole career so far. I've I've made about a third of a career you know, <laughs> just using Watsi IP already. So I I don't I will be working on other things that will have to be released through OGL, I'm sure, uh, like I've already done for Wolfgang. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't but, wait to release it. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, you know, most of my stuff is is just going to continue doing what I've always done, and that's why the DMs Guild is going to be nice for me because during you know third and fourth edition, Wizards put out enough material and used enough freelancers where I I could have kind of steady work, and then during fifth edition it kind of shut down. So this is now my way to get my work back out uh, into the into the world that way. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well let's. Swing on over to Liz Tice. Liz, um, when this announcement came out, uh, we talked that day. You were still going through the SRD. What does this mean for Hero Lab and RealmWorks? Um, you know, we, we obviously we talked with Rob Bowes a little bit about this, um, but why don't you bring us up to speed? Hero Lab, of course, being a, an amazing software that you can use to build characters, monster mechanics, do things with combat and all that sort of stuff, and then RealmWorks being more of a campaign management software um, that you can do all your sort of story management in. Uh, what does all of this mean for you over at Lone Wolf? Yeah, so it's it's kind of it was hilarious that Rob talked to you about the the OGL and the SRD about what seven days before it released, um, and <laughs> yeah. it looked it looked like two days based on when the podcast actually went live. <laughs> um, he is not psychic. Uh, we we actually had the same situation that Wolfgang mentioned, where we kept hearing soon, and we've been hearing soon for a year. So uh, we didn't have insider knowledge. Um, we were just very positive and it turned out to work in our favor. Um, because we kept hearing soon, we had uh, some some of the uh, fifth edition mechanics already ready to go in Hero Lab. But um, given that we are a commercial product, we wanted to spend the time to go through and make sure that we, we had it all right and that it was just SRD material. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we weren't able to just put it live the day or even the week of the SRD. I know there are some, um, some free tools out there and uh, we're, we're thankful for all of the Hero Lab fans that are waiting for us to put it out. Um, and luckily we have a fantastic staff. Um, so we, we will have fifth edition live for, for the SRD um, in Hero Lab by the end of the month, which we're really Really happy to say. <laughs> um, in terms of what it means for um, for Hero Lab users, uh, obviously there's character creation support through the SRD. Um, we're going to have uh, an encounter builder and a monster builder, so a lot of what I think people would be looking for. Uh, we're we're definitely keeping an eye on the SRD based on the the Reddit um, AMA that 
I think uh, Wolfgang mentioned earlier. Uh, it sounds like there are some small updates coming. It sounds like they they omitted the Eldritch Blast and a few other things were um, omitted as an oversight. So Mike Merles indicated that gonna, there's going to be a few updates, um, but... I found it interesting in the SR, or in that AMA that he mentioned um, that it was intentional to to keep things um, carved out the way it was because they wanted to encourage people to create new stuff with um, what they included as as a foundation rather than just giving everything uh, to to play fifth edition through the SRD. So. We're definitely going to be eager to see what publishers like Cobalt Press um, and and others come out with, and I'm sure we'll be talking with Wolfgang too. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you imagine having 400 new monsters added uh, to Hero mm. Lab? That would just oh be. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> the encounter builder will be great, but it'll be limited based on what's available in the SRD. 400 right. new monsters could have, could help an awful lot. Yeah, just right. saying. Oh my goodness. The, <laughs> the the Tome of Beasts, we were we were drooling over that even before all of this great OGL news. <laughs> I'm happy we, to say we're playtesting the heck out of it right now. We've got hundreds of playtesters hammering on it, so it's coming together really well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, another great thing about our community is that there are a number of users out there that um, have knowledge with the the editor, which is an option, and within Hero Lab to um, add your own uh, feats, uh, classes, monsters, what have you. And um, while there's there's definitely holes in the SRD compared to what you see in the player's handbook and the monster manual and the the Dungeons Master Guide. Um, I I would be very surprised if the community hasn't filled in those holes within a month. <laughs> uh, no, knowing the knowing the uh, dedication of many of our community members, um, and as for Realmworks, uh, a lot of great options from that standpoint with the content market. Um, the the Tome, Tome of Beasts is is something we've talked to Wolfgang about, and one thing that we are looking forward to is being able to also provide the SRT, SRD material um, to Realmworks users through the content market. So if you, you know, mention a spell in um, your your campaign in Realmworks, it will automatically link to that mechanic uh, or that, that spell listing in Realmworks, which will be really useful. You don't have to have a PDF open or a, a book in front of you. It's all right there in one, one app. So very cool. We're excited to actually have an announcement as opposed to Tuesday when I was still putting it together. <laughs> uh, it was it was a busy week, and I'm sure uh, you all agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, yeah. been awesome. <laughs> uh, and I have to say, speaking of it being a busy week, I, I do think that Wizards of the Coast has done a good job responding to uh, various little, you know, little problems or snafus that people have seen, like mm-hmm. the Eldritch Blast being left off the spell list or like um you know there there was some questions about art right that if you had art uh how could you use it if you had you know commissioned the rights but hadn't bought it out right for a product but then you uploaded it to the dm's guild did that mean that everybody had access to that art and they've cleared that up too um you know you don't have to just buy 
artwork outright from an artist, uh, you can buy the rights just for a single product, which is pretty great because I don't think everybody has the money to be doing uh, work for hire uh, for for every single thing. So, um, you know, this this has been a really, really exciting time. It's been a, a crazy, crazy week. So I'm trying to put a PDF of archons and catastrophic dragons together to get up on the DMs <laughs> guild. Uh, so, <laughs> and of course, in the flurry of announcements, then, uh, we also heard about, uh, the next storyline. There was some art released and then there were some, some leaks. Uh, so this art, you know, there was art of a fortune teller and art of a young woman called innocence and it looked Gothic. And, uh, you know, the, the, it seems like now the worst kept secret in gaming uh, that uh, the next adventure is going to, to be Ravenloft related. It's called The Curse of Strahd. Uh, has been discovered by searching for the word Strahd on the, the D&D website. Um, so uh, you'll probably know a lot more. This podcast launches tomorrow, which is when they're supposed to officially announce it. But are you all excited for Strahd? Sam Dillon, what do you think? Uh, well, I got to tell you, I'm I'm not the biggest Ravenloft fan, but it does uh, it does excite me because I'm curious to see what they do with the with the sort of vampiric gothic themes, uh, and and I'm really excited. I, I think that uh, you know, and Sean um, alluded to this earlier from the from the writer's perspective that you know, uh, in third and fourth edition they were putting out so many. Uh, so many new products all the time. There was always something to sort of sink your teeth into. Um, from the writing perspective, there was always something to be working on. But in fifth edition, that dried up a great deal. Well, from the from the players and the GM's perspective, I feel the same way. That completely dried up. And um, I I like the the sort of big campaigns they've been putting out, but I really thirst for more um, supplements i just do more adventures more you know handbooks more source books i and you know at the risk of of uh, getting the ire of some people because i know that there was a huge glut in third edition and and in fourth edition you know you don't really need two hardback books a month or whatever but you need a little bit more than one per quarter i think <laughs> um and the, so i think you know they sort of swung they swung the other way and and now maybe they're going to come back and and uh, and and maybe produce something, some smaller things or whatever. But um, you know, hopefully they're getting their feet under them and they're figuring out how to make this whole thing work. And and I'm excited for another product to come out. So that's, and I don't that's see any much. evidence that they're going to go more often. This is still about once a quarter, right? No, I, I yeah, I know. but I, I I'm, I'm ho- but I guess my point there is you know maybe opening up uh, the DM guild and and throwing out the OGL for people to use and and having a nice comprehensive SRD will maybe fill in some of those holes. Sure. And, and just having an announcement that that there's going to be a new, you know, uh, Ravenloft based or Strahd based, you know, storyline. Uh, there are also rumors that uh, Tracy and Laura Hickman actually, uh, if not worked on it fully, that they were consulted um, and and act at, acted as consultants on the product. So I don't know if that's a true rumor or a false rumor, but I hope it's true uh, because the original Ravenloft um, module was fantastic. Uh, and yeah. so if they used that as their building blocks, I am extremely looking forward to this. And I told you guys already, I have already pre-ordered it on Amazon. So I'm I'm excited about it. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm very, very excited about this. Uh, I love this adventure. And Jeff, I know you told me that you run it every Halloween, and we should mention, we mentioned this before we started recording, you called it. Uh, you said <laughs> that uh, when they were leaving the realms, and we don't know, maybe this is Ravenloft in the realm somewhere. Uh, we'll see once the announcement comes out. I've done that before. Yeah, yeah, but you said uh, that Ravenloft would be the next thing they did after the realms. Uh, so let's give credit where credit is due. You called it. Uh, what do you think about this announcement? Um, no, I think it's cool. Um, I'm, I guess I'm not like super thrilled because I'm not getting anything crazy new. Um, but it is nice to get a storyline that's not, hey, there's a cult that's trying to bring about the apocalypse to stop, you know? <laughs> which, which as great as that is as a, as a storyline, we've now seen it three times in a row in these big campaigns. So I'm, I don't I'm, know, Jeff. The vampire apocalypse is <laughs> the cult of Strahd. <laughs> See, I can't be too harsh on these storylines because one of the authors is, is on the call with us. But <laughs> I'm Looking forward to seeing some more variety enter the the library of options that we have available to us. I'm always looking forward to an update to Ravenloft. Like like you mentioned, uh, I've have a long tradition of running it for Halloween, and um, the things that happen each year carries forward to the next year and whatever. I, I, and I haven't been as consistent as every year lately, uh, but it still pops up about you know every every few years in the fall. Yeah, yeah, it's super super fun. I played it uh, this Halloween actually. Mike Shea DM'd. Uh, mm. Um, nice. lucky enough to live very close to him and it was a blast uh so how about you wolfgang are you pumped about ravenloft and also does this mean you know maybe we'll see ravenloft material incorporated into the dms guild might we see some kobaldi ravenloft products I, if that you happens. know i i regret to say that when it first came out i said oh this is so awesome and i barely got to play it right because i was working <laughs> at tsr at the time and i i read it and loved it and barely played it. I, I played I six back when. Um, now that it's coming back, I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to run it. Um, so I'm I'm thrilled as a fan about it. As a publisher, uh, maybe I I swiped all of the gothic stuff that I loved and put it in my Midgard home campaign years ago. Right? There's the mists rise. There's a vampire kingdom. I, I've got fortune tellers and gypsies. I, those are those are like my favorite tropes from Ravenloft. So I put them in my homebrew, right? Um, as for products, wow, it's way too soon. I don't think I'm going to spend. Um, I mean, the DMs Guild is sort of probably ideal for people who are just getting started. Totally. Um, but I think there's a lot of room sort of with the broader OGL to do things even beyond those properties. So if somebody comes to me with a pitch for Ravenloft and says, Hey, I don't really want to edit play test layout. I don't want to do anything but write it. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, Oh, you want me to do all that <laughs> and put it on DMs? Well, all right, maybe um, I wouldn't turn it down. I, the policy at Cobalt press used to be, you know, we'll take pitches for generic uh, material. We'll take pitches set in the Midgard campaign setting. We specifically will not take pitches according to our freelancer si uh, guidelines for the realms or Dark Sun or any place else. Well, we're going to have to revise those, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to have to say, yeah, we'll consider a Ravenloft pitch. But if it's covered by the DMs Guild, which we don't know if, yet. If right. it's covered by the DMs Guild uh, or if it happens to be set in the realms, which would have the same effect. Um, but, you know, for now, it's like, well, 
we'll see. We're we're kind of poking at DM's Guild with a stick right now. <laughs> we're we're still figuring it out. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I think everybody is. So, quick follow up question then: Fifth Edition Midgard Campaign Guide. I have no official word at this time. <laughs> if you'd like to have one, this would be a great podcast <laughs> to bring on. Just, uh... I, I have to ship this gigantic tome of beasts before I can think about that. Um, but you're not the first person to ask for one, and I'm starting to think that maybe there's demand for it because people keep saying, hey, I need this and that, and I'm converting stuff that I need for fifth edition equivalents and we're going to have most of the midgard monster canon available in tome of beasts so that's one foundation stone and the other one it's a lot of relatively rules um agnostic setting material right so the really big break point for it is getting actually the the clerical domains um set up properly so that we can have priests of the goddess of beer and uh, you know various apocalyptic prophetic gods. Wait, are you and talking about like an alcohol domain for? Well, we just call it beer. <laughs> the goddess of beer, um, and she is actually based on a Sumerian model mm-hmm. from long ago. Um, and the dwarves adopted her in Midgard, and she's one of their favorites. She's not as big as the god of smith work or war or anything, but they like her. I like her fine. And I'm trying to figure out how to write the domain of beer for, you know, basically beer clerics, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is just as goofy as it sounds. And I believe the original write up for that was in Cobalt Quarterly and written by Ed Greenwood. So I have to meet a certain certain bar for that. Yeah. yeah, That and about 12 other domains or new priesthoods needs to happen. Excellent. Well, If you are ever ready to talk about it, certainly take your time with the Tome of Beasts. Get it right. It's going to be amazing. Book of Lairs, awesome. Uh, But whenever you're ready to talk about your next product, please come to us and uh, and we'll help spread the word. I'll find you. I will. Yeah. Uh, Sean, what about you? Ravenloft. Uh, Are are you excited at the possibility of Ravenloft? I am. I'm about at an 8 out of 10, Mm -hmm. which is where I was when I first heard that it was going to be Ravenloft. So... I ran you know, the original Ravenloft adventure as a young lad, mm-hmm. and my players loved it. And then the the whole setting came out, and I wasn't quite good enough of a DM to make make the gothic horror work. They just wanted to get back to you know smashing down doors and, and fighting <laughs> dragons. But I think it is definitely a setting that's ripe for a different kind of adventuring than what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. And so I am looking forward to seeing. Not only you know the adventure that that wizards will release, but you know all the other tangential stuff that comes out through the adventurers league and and maybe even on the DMs guild. Who knows? Yeah, it's funny that it's sort of uh, Rage of Demons was kind of a nice bridge. Uh, now that they're doing Ravenloft into you know weird gothic horror, uh, Rage of Demons was sort of like weird fantasy horror. Um, so uh, so it's great to uh, to see that yeah, definitely being made. And- and if you want to get a preview of season four, you can come to Winter Fantasy, where they will be uh, running a uh, preview adventure for uh, season four. And where people can see you. Uh, I, I hope so. And I'm kind of short, but I think most people can see <laughs> Liz, Ravenloft thoughts. 
I'm I'm pretty excited, mainly because um, even though I grew up with D and D, I my dad was my GM, and he he never really ran the published adventures. It was D and D in my dad's world. Um, so my experience with the the classics is basically reading them many years later, <laughs> um, but. I haven't played them. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with, with, uh, the, this new version. And I'm really hoping that I get a chance to play it. So here's, here's hoping, um, that I will not only have a chance to read all the way through it, but also find a group to play it with. Excellent. Excellent. Well, maybe we could get a roll 20 game going, Liz, uh, if you're looking for a group to play with. I would be down for that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. Let's uh, let's move on, Jeff. To, to hit it quickly, Watsi announced also this week the where you can find them at conventions this year uh, in their current plans, and it's a bunch of smaller shows, and then Origins is on there and what have you. But they they even noted because they knew that that would be noticed quickly that they are not going to Gen Con at all. The D and D team will not be there. Baldman Games, who runs uh, most of their con games and whatever, um, will be there running games. But if you wanted to um, have a chat with the actual D and D team from Wizards of the Coast, um, they are not officially attending. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? Um, I'm starting to think. Well, then maybe I. Don't I mean I go primarily as press, right? right so yeah, there's exactly. less and less reason for me to go. Although I will be uh, there this year, and I will be uh, planning to hang out with Kobold at the or at the Kobold Press uh, seminars and and record mm-hmm. those because there's usually good content in there. And last year I did some green running stuff because they had uh, some some D and D work going on. So um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll keep busy, but not like I used to. Uh, maybe you'll have to check out Winter Fantasy. Yeah, I'm a teacher. So, uh, so timing, yeah. Like Origins, actually, timing works out really well for me, except I didn't know, and I've already booked a hotel room for Gen Con. Right, so. right. <laughs> uh, Wolfgang, you said you definitely have some thoughts about this. Uh, what are your thoughts? I sort of understand why. I have a certain sympathy for them, um, because the show has gotten huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's becoming... Uh, increasingly the victim of its own success. People used to grumble about hotels. Now they kind of throw up their hands in despair. (laughs) People used to grumble about not getting the event tickets they want. Now I've got people from the Gen Con staff coming to me and saying, hey, listen, the Cobalt Press events, these, 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 and these were all really popular last year. Could you run three times as many, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, I would love to, but I have no idea how. (laughs) <laughs> because the reason they were good is we took the best game masters and the best panelists we could find and kind of prepped for it. Um, it doesn't really scale up really neatly. And the other downside, of course, is we run those because <laughs> we think of them as a way of reaching the audience and sort of connecting with, with gamers. But we don't make any money from them, right? It's just community outreach from our perspective. Um, so doing three times as much, is it worth it for the small press? And the other thing that that makes me sort of sympathetic to Wizards' position is that a lot of what goes on at Gen Con from the Wizards' side is Magic the Gathering. They run a ton of tournaments, uh, and they've already handed off parts of D&D, organized play to other people, helping them out, a really talented volunteer organization. I don't know. I, 
I think the show is really big. It's great for board gamers and card gamers and role players, but it's not the role playing focused show it was 20 years ago, right? Right. Um, so maybe they're smarter to do kind of the PaizoCon thing and build up Winter Fantasy or other small regional events where they feel like that's just a role playing show. That's just a D&D show. Because um, frankly, if you go to PaizoCon, right, you know what you're getting. <laughs> or, or for those of you who know um, Privateer Press, right? If you go to the Lock and Load event, what are you getting? You're getting all Privateer Press games. So I, I think maybe it makes sense for them business-wise. It just hurts to hear mm. that they're not coming, right? Mm. So emotionally, I'm totally hating it. Yeah, sure. it definitely hurts to see that. But I think what Wolfgang said rings true. And another way to look at it is... If Wizards can go to these six or seven other events and pay a quarter of the price that they would have paid to be at Gen Con, does that make sense? And right. I think the answer is probably yes. Now, I don't know if it's a quarter of the price, but I know that it is a much less costly way to reach at least as many people that is doing it the way that they've said they're going to do it. They and do they have cannot- Baldman oh. Games who can still be at Gen Con. <clears throat> Who can still mm-hmm. run all their events and still, you know, like Wolfgang said, you know, they're being asked to to do three times what they're doing with the same amount of staff and not make any money. Well, through Bald Band Games, who I have a connection with, we, you know, we've built up a DM's guild, basically. And so we have the, the manpower and we have the goodwill of the Gen Con and the players and wizards to be able to pull that off and, and run 100 tables each slot. That's amazing. Yeah, and that, That's and they really had, impressive. They had actually even mentioned to me at Gen Con last year when I talked to them about their, their really light presence uh, in terms of a staff last year that they can go to other cons and actually bring in bigger audiences. The reason they didn't have any panels last year and just focused on playing games is because they, they compared it to packs. And they're like, we can go to packs and we can pack a room with hundreds of people. And then we run the same panel here and we'll get 50 to a hundred, maybe, you know, right. uh, it's just not, it's it. Gen Con just isn't that kind of con. People go to the play games, um, not necessarily to hear, from people. I mean, they used to pack a room every year when they would announce like the next six months of products and they were doing two products a month and all that. But they probably smartly aren't doing that anymore. And they just haven't been able to pack a, a panel or a seminar for a long time. Yeah, so much so that they didn't really have panels last year, right? They, they didn't have any, no. Yeah, yeah. They were just running games. So if they're gonna if they're if someone else is already running D and D games for them, what is the point of, of them being there? I can kind mm-hmm. of see the logic. And that makes perfect sense. If you can get more bang for your buck and it's not like they're disappearing from conventions everywhere, they're just disappearing from Gen Con. Uh, Liz, what about you? You spend a lot of time at Gen Con uh, at the booth, uh, hoofing it, uh, you know, uh, uh, pounding the pavement, as it were, for, yeah. uh, you know, for, for Lone Wolf. Um, is Does this announcement mean anything for you, either on the Lone Wolf side or as just a lover of role-playing games and Dungeons and & Dragons? I mean, me, Liz, gamer, uh, I, I'm sort of disappointed uh, that... They, they won't have a presence there, um, but me, Liz, part of Lone Wolf, I'm right there with Wolfgang and 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 Sean. I'm not I'm not surprised um, at all uh, by by the their 
lack of presence at Gen Con. I think that they definitely would get a, a bigger bang for their buck doing the the cons that they have outlined. So um, it's unfortunate because, you know, that means that if uh, Lone Wolf wants to have business talks with them, it's not an option at Gen Con, which um, <laughs> is is honestly one of, I mean, I don't know if this is the same for, for Wolfgang and Sean, but Gen Con is, is often where we have business conversations in person with, um, with a lot of different people and, and um, companies. So that's unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. Just from although, a- although having no official presence and, not, and, and unofficially kind of sending some people so some of those meetings could still take place are different things, right? For sure, for sure. But um, that, I mean, I don't have yeah. any information on whether or not that's what they're planning to do. <laughs> so, you know, if we, we do want to have a conversation with from someone from Wizards, we would definitely find out if they're sending anyone. Um, sure. But not knowing for sure if that's going to happen, it, it's unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. From, from a business meeting perspective, but I, I'm not surprised. I think uh, this is in, in their interests. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, let me turn to uh, Sam Dillon now. Sam, uh, I know that you don't normally Gen attend Con veteran Gen Con. Sam Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, right. But I have, since I have been going, been trying to get Sam to go to Gen Con mm-hmm. so I can meet Sam in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, has this affected your chances of coming to Gen Con ever? No. No. Because I, when I uh, think about Gen Con and, and in the past when I have – I actually was going to go two or three years ago. I can't remember when. Uh, and I, actually I had a, a a financial emergency that occurred and I had to cancel all my plans. Sure, um, sure. Uh, and normally it's – it's uh, as, a, as a professor, I, I have to uh, go with a schedule that is at the whims of uh, – the college I teach at. So um, usually Gen Con does not occur at a time when I'm able to take all that much time off. But um, having no Watsi there doesn't really change my plans on whether to go or not because I never intended to go so that I could get the ear of, you know, Mike Merles and Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford and, you know, uh, that was never a, a goal for me. So not having them there doesn't really change what I'm going to do personally. Um, on the other hand, I know the history of Gen Con as a person who's been playing for many years and, and who, uh, who loves the game. I, and my heart hurts to know that, that the, the creators and the owners of, of Dungeons and Dragons aren't really, um, going to put a lot of st- I don't want to say a lot of effort cuz I they do a lot of games and and through bald man games and all that. So I don't want to make that implication cuz that's not what I mean. I just I, my heart hurts that you know as as Wolfgang said I just I am so like that is so sad to me. But from a business perspective I completely understand it. Um I do know that there was some controversy last year with organized play uh with the amount of support that people were getting from Wizards of the Coast because it was a big surprise to a lot of people that there wasn't a large Wizards presence right? in, in right. terms of D&D. Um, but I think that was more of a messaging issue than an actual there was something to be disappointed about issue. Um, I can tell you exactly what happened if you'd like to know. Uh, I'm not sure it's – I mean you okay. can if you would like. I'm not sure it's necessary. I, I'm just – my sort of – 
I was going to follow that up with, you know, I think the fact that they're just saying right up front and, and they actually had announced last year that they were pulling back um, and that they were going to go with sort of smaller cons because they can, you know, have more targeted messaging and blah, blah, blah. So it makes sense to me from a business perspective. It does upset me from the overall history of Gen Con and how it started and where D&D is today and all that stuff. But, you know, Gen Con is not what it was 30 years ago. Gen Con is a humongous, you know, 60,000 person, you know, convention. And, you know, uh, I think the fact that WotC is willing to respond to the change in the, in the sort of uh, the environment that is produced by that amount of people um, is a good thing. Well, uh, Sean, I want to know. What what exactly happened was for the last two or three years, they've had uh, something called D&D All Access. And it's basically one ticket that costs a couple hundred bucks. And you get to play all of the games that are running at Gen Con from from the Adventurers League. Plus, they throw in some swag. And Mm -hmm. when I say swag, the first year they did it, they must have given out four or five hundred dollars worth of books, minis other material. Wow. So people be, people started to expect that. The problem this year was the swag was donated by Wizards, but Wizards didn't have any books that they could just give. <laughs> or they only had one book, right? Whereas when they were printing a book a month, you could just take the last four months of books and give them to the players. This time they couldn't do that. So there was an expectation that while it wasn't a written expectation, it had been happening over the years. So when people bought that ticket, thinking, "Okay, we're going, sh- you know, show me the money," and it wasn't what they had come to expect, there were a lot of complaints. And afterwards, Wizard stepped up and said, "You know, we're sorry." Bald Man Games stepped up and said, "We're sorry. We know that while we're not contractually obligated to, to you know, give you these things, there was an expectation that we didn't meet." And they started sending people. Uh, who bought these all access tickets? Uh, they coupons for free books, and I can't remember exactly what they were given. Uh, they but got a copy of Sword Coast Legends, right? The the video game, the video game, yeah, yeah. as yeah. well as as well as books, yeah. And you know, books that came out after Gen Con had had already completed. Then a book came out, and and so people were sent that book. So that was the major complaint uh, that that people had, and that was addressed that was addressed relatively quickly after Gen Con. The Tome Show will have to fill in for the lack of panels and just do a bunch of live recordings, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeff and I will be there, so you won't see Mike Merles, but who would rather see Jeff Greiner? I know I would. So, uh, so I'll be there, Jeff. Uh, and maybe we can get Sam to show up this year. So uh, I think that is actually going to do it for this segment of the roundtable. An hour and 12-minute long segment? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but before we go, let's go around the table one more time and find out where people can find you. Uh, let us start with you, Jeff Greiner. Right here on thetomeshow.com. Excellent. And Sam Dillon. Also here on thetomeshow.com. <laughs> also the Play on Target podcast, which is at playontarget.com and RPG Musings. Great podcast, great website. Check them out. Uh, Sean Merwin, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can go to the Encoded Designs website. Uh, you can find the Encoded Designs adventure that we put up on the DMs Guild called The Five Temples of the Earth Mother. Or, you know, uh, oh, 
and on the podcast that I do with Chris Nizak called Down with the Indie. Exactly. Great podcast, great website, great adventure. Uh, Liz Tice, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Liz Tice, Liz the is. <laughs> um, <laughs> And you can find uh, information about uh, Here Lab and Realmworks on our website, wolflair.com. Excellent, excellent. Also, great Twitter following uh, if you guys oh. want to check that out. So, lots of great dog pics. Uh, if you're- yes, <laughs> my personal, my personal Twitter, not Lone Wolf's Twitter. Right. <laughs> and uh, Wolfgang, where can people find you? Uh, well, on Twitter, I'm at Monkey King, uh, and of course, CobaltPress.com. And at Cobalt Press uh, for Twitter. And, you know, I boot around on various podcasts, but <laughs> this one in particular. Excellent, excellent. Well, those are all great places to check out. And we will, of course, link all of it over at thetomeshow.com. Uh, so uh, when you look for Jeff, you can find the rest of all of these people. There you go. Uh, so thank you very much for being on the roundtable today, everybody. Thanks thank for you. Us. Thanks for having us. It's the this is my interview with Adventurers League admin, Robert Aducci. Okay, everybody, I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Robert Aducci, who is one of the admins for the D&D Adventurers League. Robert, how are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you, James? I'm doing, I'm doing really well. You know, nobody ever throws it back to me like that. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's awesome to have you on the show. This has been a super, super exciting week for people who play D&D. Um, and, of course, the Adventurers League is a big part of all the happenings in D&D. Uh, how does the OGL and the SRD and the DMs Guild uh, affect the Adventurers League model? So there have been a lot of uh, a lot of changes um, announced with that. So um, really, the the SRD and the OGL kind of really don't affect the Adventures League um, since you know we're kind of Wizards IP. So uh, we're more involved with the DMs Guild, um, totally. and the DMs Guild, uh, you know, is a place where anybody can put up their creations, um, and we're also hosting all of the the D&D Adventures League uh, adventures. The previous ones that we've already done are there um, for the past three seasons and uh, everything in the future will be there as well. So anybody can play Adventures League now. That's really the biggest change with the DMs Guild. All of our adventures are up there for, you know, $2.99 or $3.99 and anyone can buy them and they can play them anywhere immediately. So you can go out right now, buy them and run them tonight uh, at your home game. Whoa, that's awesome. And I think one of the things that's great is, right, for the last year and a half, we've seen people say, oh, the the expeditions, I really want to get my hand on the D&D expeditions because I, I want to play those at home and I'm not near a game store. I would pay for those, blah, blah, blah. Now they actually have the chance to go and get all of those adventures. Exactly, exactly. And if you don't want to buy, you know, if you want to buy all of them, um, you know, you can purchase them individually and the designers would uh, would love you for that. Or you can purchase them um, in a bundle for each season um, and we get a smaller cut of that. But it's still great to uh, you know have people seeing our adventures more widespread. That's one of the great things. Wizards was really nice and um, basically gave all of the designers for all of the previous adventures uh, royalties. So, we, you know, in addition to getting paid for to write the adventure, we're also now going to be. Um, getting these royalties for, you know, as people purchase these kind of forever. 
That's amazing. And yeah, they didn't have to do that, right? They already yeah. paid you work for hire. So yep. um, yeah, it just seems like this is a, a pretty great deal for creators. And this is also where you are going to find new writers for the Adventurers League through the content they submit uh, for the Dungeon Masters Guild, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we really want to encourage people to put great adventures out, um, you know, spend the time, get an editor, put, you know, uh, maybe get a, maybe some art and maybe uh, someone to draw you some maps um, and get some nice layout and get it up there. And the, you know, the more people talk about it and the more people rate it highly, we will probably notice it. In which case, uh, that's where we're going to be drawing our future designers from. Yeah. So what is a good place for people to start? You know, if, if they're out there and they really want to submit something and they, they have a great idea for an adventure, but they need art and they need to find someone to edit and, and maybe somebody to help them out with a map, where is a good place for them to sort of start looking for that kind of thing? Uh, that's a good question. So on the DMs Guild, there is some, there are some, uh, some resources, some art resources, and some map resources. So you can pull those, um, and you can use those just to give you a little spice. Um, if you're looking for an editor or something, I would just you know ask around in the in in, in the various DMs, uh, or I'm sorry, D and D groups. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone you know will will offer their services or point you to someone that that can help you out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure everybody's got an English major friend or uh, somebody who, who knows good form and syntax and has also checked out a lot of D&D adventures who can help them out, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Some of the, you know, one thing to think about for editing um, and even writing D&D adventures is that it's not just, you know, like writing uh, fiction. It's really technical writing because it's, you know, you got to write, you got to know the rules. Um, you got to kind of put things in the terms that the rules use. So you don't want to be using terms that the rules don't use or older versions of the rules. Um, so people know kind of what you're talking about. Sure, sure. You want to read something that you would like to use as a DM, right? That's clear and concise. And yeah, the story's got to be great, but everything else has to be clear as well and follow sort of the, you know, the the standard that Wizards has put forth. Exactly. So let me ask you a quick question then, because I've seen a lot of things on the internet and I think it's really going to help to have you clear things up. So, and people should know, not only are you an admin for the Adventurers League, but you are are also a great adventure designer yourself and design stuff for the Adventurers League. Um, you know, so, so people should know that this is coming from a guy who has the interest of the designers in mind because you are one of them. Um, you know, so, uh, Earlier today, uh, we had Sean Merwin on the show, who has written also a lot of great adventures for you guys, and he was saying he's really excited about your new pricing model that um, you know people will sort of make money based on their commission uh, with the D&D adventures that they write that are sold through the DMs Guild. Uh, and I've seen people, some people say online, like, oh, I don't know, it sounds like a raw deal to me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, after hearing Sean, I was convinced. I was like, oh, okay, this is as good as it sounds. Um, you know, uh, are you excited about this new model moving forward? For sure. I think that, you know, people will, you know, find designers they really like and follow them and, and buy the stuff they're putting out. They, um, you know, and it's it's a relatively small amount. And so, you know, you can afford to check out different designers. Um, you know, we hope that the Adventures League is a place where, um, you know, we're going to draw really good designers to, and, uh, you know, people will be able to, 
know that the adventures of the adventures are going to be good. You know, they're all going to be related um, through our storyline seasons. So that kind of helps push things as well. Um, but the kind of 50% commission that designers get for using, you know, even, even if you're not an adventures league designer um, and you're, you're just on the DMs guild, you still get a 50%, you know, 50% of the commission to you. Um, and you get to use wizards IP uh, for forgotten realms, which I think is a major boon. Um, so we'll see what people put out. Sure. Sure. And it sounds like they have plans to open that up as the, the multiverse expands for fifth edition. So I actually have my fingers crossed for when uh, dark sun comes out. Uh, I'll just be buying up everything that, uh, that you post on the DMs <laughs> at that point. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for dark sun to come out too. That'll be <laughs> fantastic. I might have to step away from adventures league for a minute, and write a bunch of my own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, this is cool. It's a very exciting announcement and I love to think, um, you know, whenever I use a site like this, I love to be able to know exactly how much of, my money is going to the creator. So that's really cool too, that I can, when I buy a PDF for $4, I can say, I know that $2 of this is going to the person who made this, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit now about the, the new setup. So we're doing away with the terms encounters and expeditions, right? Um, so how does, how do those adventures work? We know the next storyline is going to be announced soon. What sort of, what's the plan for that season, season four of, uh, the D and D adventurers league? So the adventures formerly known as expeditions um, are just going to be called D&D Adventures League Adventures. So we used to have the codes um, in front of the adventures like DDEX uh, and then the season number and the adventure number. We're still going to keep that format, but we're just going to be calling them DDAL and then the the season number and the adventure number. Um, And then the hardcover adventures, you know, we're just going to call them the hardcover adventures. So um, we should still be able to, you know, differentiate them easy enough, but, you know, altogether, they're still just all, uh, D&D Adventures League. Yeah, yeah, and, and now people can play them anywhere, right? Thanks to the DMs Guild, they don't have to go to, uh, you know, an official organized play site like a convention or a game store or a library. Um, they can, they can play, you know, you can buy the adventure and play it at your home and it counts for D&D Adventures League play. Exactly, exactly, yep. Yeah. We really want people to play, you know, anywhere and everywhere. We really want, you know, we're really hoping this also spurs stores and conventions to kind of up their game a little because now any of these adventures can be played at home. So what's going to be the draw of going to a store or a convention? Um, What are they going to do to kind of entice people um, to, you know, to go there and, and, and see what they have to offer? And do you have any uh, recommendations for that? I know that, you know, uh, that was that was one of the other things I saw was like, oh, no, this new model is is bad for game stores. Uh, do you think that that's still true or do you think people are still going to find a reason to gather in game stores to play? Well, I think there's always the, you know, the community aspect and, and that's really what game stores excel at. Uh, so I think that um, as long as the game stores have a great community aspect, they're going to draw in players. Um, in addition, Wizards has also announced that even though they're you know, uh, retiring the Encounters name um, and that sort of specific format, there's still going to be some exclusive content to game stores uh, with what they call the launch event. Um, so every new hardcover book that comes out is going to have a launch event. So regardless of its if it's an adventure or not, it'll have a launch event. And um, with the exception of this first um, launch event, it's all going to be uh, custom exclusive content for game stores. So that won't be released 
on DMs Guild or uh, anywhere else. Wow. So that's great. So there's still something in this for game stores. And obviously there's still a great reason to gather. And I do think it's also excellent for people who don't have a game store near them. They can now play all of these adventures. It's just really, really cool. And it's cool because people who maybe played in the adventure, uh, you know, only so many copies to give out or whatever. Now they can go buy that adventure and DM it for their friends if they want to. Exactly. Uh, you know, that that same idea that of encounters, uh, the hardcover being there and sort of enticing the players to maybe go buy the hardcover and finish it and play it with their friends at home or whatever. Now that applies to all of the Adventures League adventures. Uh, so it could be good for everybody. That's what we hope. So that announcement went out that no one from the official Wizards of the Coast D&D team is going to be at Gen Con, but we know that... We're still going to be running games at Gen Con. Uh, mm-hmm. Baldman Games will be there. And can I expect that uh, that you and the Adventures League crew will be at Gen Con? I'm sure several of us will be there. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know who is going to make it this year. Um, I'll try to be there, and I know some of the other guys. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to try to be there with Baldman Games, you know, running, running great adventures. I'm sure there'll be an epic there. I'm sure there'll be premier adventures um, and, you know, Last year, there was a little, you know, some some dissatisfaction at, at Gen Con, and I think uh, Ballman Games has really listened to uh, listened to the community about that, and I think uh, his events are going to be better than ever. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to check them out. So, uh, you know, it's D&D. Every, every news item that comes up, it just keeps getting more and more exciting. I'm, I'm really thrilled about this year. What other uh, cons might we see you guys at? I think Origins is going to be really big. I think uh, a lot of the admins are going to try to go to Origins. Of course, Winter Fantasy is coming up here in just a couple of weeks, and uh, a lot of us are going to be there as well. Um, so those are probably the two big ones. I'd like to talk about um, DM rewards. So, oh yes, please. In the please. past, kind of DM rewards have have been um, you know meager to say the least. Um, I think we were really trying to encourage people to kind of DM a lot to kind of make sure they catch up. But we were also, ex- we were expecting a lot of people that were DMing to also be players. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the DM rewards were really just more or less a stopgap to kind of, you know, give a little something. But I think that the, what we see now is that a lot of people that DM kind of DM a lot. And so if they, if they do, they don't get a whole lot of experience um, or gold. And so they kind of fall behind. So, um, and then now, especially with, you know, DMs having to purchase the um, the adventures, you know that's sort of like, you know, they're, if they if we kept it the same, they would have to purchase the adventure plus they'd be getting less, you know, rewards. And we just didn't, you know, that's not really fair to DMs. So uh, this year, uh, this season, we are really upping the DM rewards. We think everyone will be um, will be really excited with what we're doing. We're um, Nothing's kind of finalized yet, but it will be by the time we, uh, you know, we launch the season. Um, but we're really going to give uh, what we're kind of tentatively calling um, DM quests or, you know, they're similar to achievements. So, you know, you finish, uh, you know, all the low level adventures, you get uh, maybe some bonus experience and uh, maybe a scroll or potion for your character. You finish all the, you know, mid-level adventures, you get this. You, you, if you run all of the D&D adventures, League adventures, you get this. Uh, you know, every, um, if you run the entire hardcover adventure, you know, you get like 50,000 experience or something like that. So a lot of, uh, a lot of rewards for DMs. 
coming wow, up. Wow, that's actually really, really, really cool. So, and of course, DM rewards are are the rewards you guys give to people for running D and D Adventurers League games, so that you know when they create a character and, and bring it to a convention, that character is not a, a level one noob. You know, they've they've leveled up some. Uh, exactly, which is awesome. That's that's really really exciting that you guys are uh, changing that format as well. Um, so, how are you guys getting all of this information? Is this a lot of community feedback that you're listening to? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, watch the Facebook page, Twitter, uh, Google+, Reddit, EN World. We watch everywhere and see what people are talking about, um, especially on our Facebook group, um, the D&D Adventures League Facebook group. We, you know, I regularly do polls um, mm-hmm. and find out, you know, just to kind of ask questions to see where, you know, where what the temperature is. Um, and we kind of base everything off of that. Nice, nice. Yeah, it, I mean, you guys are so super active in the community. Um, you know, you, you really have your finger on the pulse, and it's great to see, uh, like, the little, uh, oh, look, Robert's posting about something. Oh, cool. Oh, Travis is commenting. Like, oh, you know, everybody is, is super involved in your end, um, and it is an awesome, awesome job that you're doing. If someone is posting on the DMs Guild with the hope of being noticed by you guys to maybe write some Adventurers League adventures, what's the best thing for them to be posting? Um, you know, is, is it an adventure? And if so, should it be like a, a single session, four hour adventure? Should, is that what they should be going for? Um, definitely in adventures. Um, I mean, adventures will include monsters. So we're kind of looking at that as well, but primarily adventures. Um, and we're really noticing that people really like, uh, the two-hour um, adventures, but also the four hours. Uh, one thing with the two-hour adventures, it's 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 difficult to ride a two-hour adventure. You know, two-hour is uh, is pretty quick. So it's, it's got to be a nice story, but it's also got to have um, some decisions and choices, um, and it's all got to be wrapped up in two hours. Nice, nice. And if people want to see some great examples, uh, do you have any particular adventures you would recommend they, they check out on the DMs Guild? Um, you know, I think any of our two hour adventures are great. It just, um, you know, and there's so many different kinds, like some are, you know, more role playing heavy, others are exploration and some are combat. So really I I would get familiar with all of them. Excellent, excellent. Well, there you go. And certainly you want to buy the ones authored by Robert DiDucci. So uh, <laughs> help keep this man in the D&D business, please. Uh, so, Robert, where can people find you online and learn more about the Adventurers League? Uh, sure. So you can find me in the Adventurers League uh, on Facebook. Um, it's a group, not a page. It's a, a group, so anybody can post. Um, it's D&D Adventures League. Just search for that, and you'll definitely find us. Uh, you'll also... As you're searching for that, you'll also find um, a bunch of our regional pages. So each region has a page. So I suggest you join your regional page, whichever part of the United States or world you live in. Um, join that page and you know kind of learn the local goings on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also on Twitter at uh, DND underscore ADV League. Um, and we're on Google Plus as in a community. Um, just search for DND Adventures League there. And we also have the uh, uh, regional pages there as well. Awesome. Yeah. And they're always updating. They're always on top of it. If you have a question, you can even throw it out there and uh, it'll probably get answered. Um, you know, might might take a little while, but because uh, they get so many of them, but they're really, really responsive. I am seriously impressed with your online presence. Um, so uh, thank you for all of the work that you do. And thank you for being my guest on the roundtable today. 
Uh, it's always great to be here, James. Thanks a lot. Awesome. And we'll have you on soon to talk about the next storyline when that's announced. We're excited for that. <laughs> All right, everyone. You can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. I'm talking full adventures, monsters, magic items, backgrounds, all kinds of goodies that you should check out. And it's all free. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Reiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable. <laughs>